grins from ear to ear on everything that you got and all that you celebrated and enjoyed together on Christmas. And um, I hope that, uh, that as you enter in in the next few days, as things wind down, that I hope uh, you have some, you've had some downtime. I don't know about you, but December 26 through 31 is kind of that awkward time. It's after Christmas. Things kind of slow down. In fact, uh, John Christ, who's a comedian and a prolific theologian, says, December 26 and 31 is a week full of behavior that you're like, okay, fine, but I'm stopping this come 2019. <laughs> is that not true? <laughs> I don't know. At our house, I saw this happen at our house. My, my wife makes something called Santa Sacks every year. It's our cookie. It's the cookie that we look forward to every year. It's got a pretzel. It's got a Hershey Kiss with an M&M on top. It goes in the oven. It melts. It all comes together. looks like Santa's sack. And they all go into these two big buckets. And, and my wife is like a health nut. She, she makes me look like a junk food junkie. And uh, that's all she, she, like, she really is like. She runs. She eats good. Yesterday she took one, out, one of the bins out, and she just left it on the, on the island in our, in our house. And I kept sneaking over and grabbing a couple more, and I'm waiting for that judging look, like, what are you doing? And, and it didn't come. And I was like, this is awesome. It's December 26th to the 31st. I love this week. <laughs> it's hard to believe that in just a few hours, the year 2018 will come to a close. I mean, what happened? I, I went to sleep, and I woke up, and it's December 30th. I can't believe it. I was reading about some of, uh, some of the traditions that other countries uh, use to celebrate the new year. And I want to share a couple with, the, with you this morning. In Scotland, uh, they have what's called the first footing. And uh, the first footing is a tall, handsome, dark-haired male. Uh, it should be the first visitor of a household after midnight. Uh, he'll come in with a loaf of bread and a bottle of whiskey and coal. And uh, he puts the coal on the fire, serves the bread and drink to the family, and he wishes them a happy new year, and he's out the door. And uh, this is meant to bring good luck and prosperity to the household. Now, for those who would like a first footing uh, in, as your new year tradition, uh, and you need a tall, handsome, dark-haired man, for a nominal fee, we can arrange for worship pastor David Coe to be the first person <laughs> to come through your door this year. <laughs> In Denmark, people collect dishes during the year, and then they throw them at the front door on New Year's Eve. And uh, the more broken plates, the more friends one will have in the new year. And then in Germany, people will drop molten lead into cold water to see what shape it takes in order to predict their future. So a heart shape symbolizes marriage. A round shape means good luck. An anchor means you need help. And a cross signifies your imminent demise. <laughs> so I uh, hope you don't get a cross if you throw that molten in the water. Here in the U.S., we have our traditions, uh, free-flowing food and drink, which symbolizes the hope for prosperity. Popping bottles of champagne for a midnight toast is considered lucky and festive. Uh, and let's not forget uh, tuning in to Dick Clark's New Year's Rockin' Eve to watch the ball drop in New York Times. Uh, we start off the new year hoping for a better and happier, more prosperous new year, right? Many of us will make New Year's resolutions for desired change in the new year. And if you're one of the 45% of the people who made a New Year's resolution in 2018, here is the top 10 resolutions you might have hoped for. Uh, maybe I'll get an amen here. You decided you want to lose weight, get organized, spend less, save more. Enjoy life to the fullest. Stay fit and healthy. Learn something exciting. Quit smoking. 
help others in advancing their, in achieving their dreams, fall in love, spend more time with family. Did anyone think of any, have any of those as your New Year's resolution? All right, so we got a few of you in there. Okay, well, here's the bad news. Statistics reveal that only 8% of those who made a New Year's resolution in 2018 actually followed through with it. <laughs> so this just goes to show a New Year's resolution is something that goes in one year and out the other. <laughs> My toast for this New Year's Eve is going to be, may all your troubles last as long as your New Year's resolutions. And uh, hopefully that'll, that'll happen. <laughs> Now, New Year's uh, is uh, not something that's new and an American thing. In the Jewish tradition, Israel had a new year, and it was called Rosh Hashanah. And it originates from a 10-day period leading up to Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement. Now, though Rosh Hashanah is not specifically mentioned in the Bible, we do read about the Feast of Trumpets in the book of Leviticus. Here's what it says there in Leviticus 23, 24, and 5. The Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, on the first day of the seventh month, you're to have a day of rest, a sacred assembly commemorated with trumpet blasts. Do no regular work, but present an offering to the, uh, made to the Lord by fire. Now, the Feast of Trumpets was a call to repentance. It was a personal time of moral and spiritual reflection. It was examining and introspective and uh, preparing oneself to, in essence, stand trial before God, who would then execute his judgment ten days later at the Day of Atonement. It reminded people of their need of repentance and for God to remember the needs of his people. Now, when Israel was in exile, the Babylonians had a specific day of the year called Day of Judgment. And the belief was that the Day of Judgment was a gathering of the deities where they would, renew the they would renew the world and judge each human being accordingly, written their f and writing their fate on the tablet of destiny. Now, being immersed in the Babylonian culture in exile for 70 years, it is believed that the Jews incorporated some of the elements in that shaping of Rosh Hashanah. The belief, uh, the, the belief became that the one God judged every Jew on this day where God would inscribe those he determined righteous in the book of life and sealing the wicked to a sad fate. And the period of ten days was reserved for those who were in between in which they could repent before the book of life was sealed for the new year. The day of judgment was officially named Rosh Hashanah in the second century and it takes place on the original date of the Feast of Trumpets. Now, these feasts and sacrificial system of the temple concluded at the cross when Jesus died. Jesus fulfilled the law, accepted judgment for sin, and is the sacrificial atonement. That's what, as Christians, that's what we believe. Jesus' death and resurrection gives life, uh, new life to all who believe. Well, where am I going with that? It's times like the turn of the new year where we stop to take an inventory of our life. We look back on our year and what we've accomplished. Maybe we'll do a final reconcile of our bank statements for the year. We'll close the books. Maybe we'll personally look at the year overall and we render our own judgment on the year. If our bank account's full, if, the, if everyone's happy and healthy and things are looking bright, we might determine it was a good year. If there are problems and challenges and hardships, we might say that 2018 was a bad year. But is that accurate? 
Does a full bank account really determine good? And is a challenge or hardship really determine bad in our life? Think, think about the video that we just watched. What did you see in your life this year? Did you see chaos, peace, fear, and hope? As we gather this last Sunday of the year, I want to ask you two questions. One, what did this year bring? And while I'm sure there were some good times, I'm sure some of you might be thinking that you can't wait for this year to be behind them. And you're hoping for a better year in 2019. Perhaps there was some kind of health issue that set you back, or death of a loved one, or a difficult work environment, or a conflict or a financial woe that has made this year extremely challenging for you. My second question is, what do you hope for in the new year? And what guarantee do we have that next year will be better? Will all of our problems just magically disappear at the drop of a ball in New York City? Does our success in the new year really depend on who walks through the door, how much china we smash, or if we keep our New Year's resolution? What hope do we have for a good new year? And more importantly, what is our, our definition and our metric of what's good? We turn to God's word this morning to learn and to understand and lean on the promises of God as we turn into uh, this new year. Uh, the scripture we read this morning was, chat, was Romans chapter 8. Uh, and the book of Romans is a letter written by the Apostle Paul. Paul was writing to the church in Rome, probably around A.D. 60, while he was in Corinth on his third missionary trip. And he wrote it at a time when the church in Rome was facing increasing persecution. Many had lost their jobs, they had lost their possessions, they lost their homes, they lost their family and their freedom, and many had lost their lives. So Paul was writing as a foundation, as a promise, as a hope for those who were going through a difficult period. Now Romans is not an easy book, and I want to challenge you this morning to try to be patient and stay, try to stay with me as I walk through a couple concepts. I, have a, I know where I'm going, and I want to make sure that you stay with me as, as we get there. Um, I have a point, and it's coming. Uh, I'm backing up a little bit from what we read in Romans 8, verses 28 to uh, verses 16 and 17. And uh, I want to read this to start off. The Spirit himself testify, testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are God's children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. What's this reveal? First, the Spirit of God, it's the Spirit of God that reveals that we are God's children. If you're here thinking about God or if you're walking with God or if you are in a relationship with God, it's not by something that you have done. It's something that the Spirit has revealed to you. That's what Paul is writing here. It reveals that we are God's children. It also reveals that we are heirs of God. We're co-heirs with Christ. It's, it's similar to an adoption process. As a child of God, through Christ, for his atonement, for our sin, we enter into a relationship with God. Christ is like that adoptive person, that legal binding contract that puts us in relationship 
and as an as a heir of God. It's also a sign that we are co-heirs with Christ and that as co-heirs of Christ, we will suffer like Christ. If you're here this morning and you think that you don't, as a Christian, you don't, or you're not going to have problems, this passage tells us something different. As co-heirs of Christ, we will share in suffering. But here is the good news. If we suffer, we also share in his glory. Let me move forward a little bit and share with you Romans verses 18 through 21. It says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. This is a temporary thing here in this suffering. For the creation awaits in eager expectation for the children of God, that's us, heirs, to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Well, blah, 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 blah. what does all that mean? <laughs> in other words, in the Christian life, suffering is a reality, but it's only temporary. Suffering is a result of sin. Now, we naturally do not like to hear the word sin. We don't even like to think about the idea that we might be sinners. But Romans 3.23 lays it out very clearly. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Our hurts, our habits, our hang-ups reveal that we are in a broken world and that you and I are broken people. Suffering, then, is the evidence of sin. But it is only temporary. The hope and the promise of what is to come, and is go- that, that hope is the hope that we have, is the promise of what is to be is to come and is going to be fulfilled. Why? Because we share in Christ's suffering, but we also share in His glory. Think about Jesus for a minute. He suffered under, on, on the cross. He died, and then on the third day, it was not the end. He what? He rose. From the dead. Death could not hold him down. And he entered into God's glory. There is something happening in our suffering while we wait that is preparing us for future glory. Something is happening right now in the circumstance of our life that is preparing us for future glory. How do we know this? Now let's look at Romans 8.28. And we know that in all things... God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. The Greek word for we know at the beginning of verse 28 is the word oidomen, which means to see, to perceive, and and to know, not by our own personal experience, but by divine revelation. In other words, we know God works in all things for the good of those who love him because the Holy Spirit will help us to see and know that. To have Paul's confidence of the promise of this verse requires that the Spirit reveal it to us. What does the Holy Spirit reveal? John Stott, who's a well-known theologian, points out a couple things. First, we know that God is at work. He is at work in all aspects of this world and our life. 
There is nothing in your life that's happening right now that is outside the realm and the control and the sovereignty of God. That's what this passage is teaching us. It also is teaching us that God is at work for the good of his people. Since God's nature and character is ultimately good, his work, his, his work is a reflection of that goodness. And he's working to advance our, our goodness. More about that in a minute. God is working in all things. Paul's not saying that all things are good. He's not saying that. And he's definitely not saying that all things work for the good. That would not be right. What Paul is saying is that God works through all things, good and bad. Nothing is above God or out of his control. Let that rest in your, in your heart and in your soul for a minute. Whatever it is that you're going through. God works in all things for the good of those who love him. This is a promise that only Christians can claim. If we love God, then we can take comfort in the fact that God is working for us, not against us. And finally, those who are described as those who love God have been called according to his purpose. We might not understand what is currently happening at this moment in our life. We may not like it, but through the ebb and flow... God is at work in the events of our life for a purpose. Well, what is that purpose? One of the hang-ups that we tend to have is when struggles and suffering come, we think it's God doing something to us. And ever, anyone ever feel that way? God, why did you let this happen? What are you doing to me? Anyone ever feel that way or think that way or, or raise that question? About four years ago, our family went through an extremely difficult period. Long story short, uh, my wife, Jamie, had been falsely accused at her job for something that never even happened. And it put us into a complete tailspin. Jamie ended up resigning from her job. Rumors had spread. Reputations were damaged. We immediately lost 50% of our income. And we found ourselves needing to consult lawyers and consider legal steps and what we might need to take moving forward. And during that time, it was the hardest thing to not blame God. But to be honest, it was exactly what I, where my thoughts went to. Why is this happening? What did we do to deserve this? But when we read a text like Romans 8, it reveals several flaws in that way of thinking. First, if we think that all of our problems will simply go away by trusting God, our theology is really distorted, our theology of God. God never said that we won't have problems. In fact, he says the complete opposite. What do we read in John 16, 33? In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. If we think God rewards us for being good and punishes us for being bad, we are no longer relying on a gospel of grace. We're relying on religion and moralism. Good people get rewarded. Bad people get punished. We must not have been doing what God wanted us to be doing. We must not have been living up to his standard. Religion says 
do the right things to stay on God's good side. The gospel says, in Christ, you are always on good side, God's good side. That's what this passage is telling us. You're always on God's good side, regardless of what your circumstance is. So what I had to learn during this time, this process, when we went through all this, was that the question was not, is not, what is God doing to me? Moralism. It is, it, rather, it is what is God wanting to change in me and how is he using the circumstance to bring about that change? Friends, let me be honest with you. God is far less concerned about the externals in your life. He's more concerned about the internal work that he wants to do in seeking change. And if we ask why, the answer is change. Because change is ultimately God's purpose for us. What do I mean by that? Let's look at Romans 8.29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, and those he predestined he also called, and those he called he also justified, and those he justified he also glorified. God's purpose is a relentless pursuit of his people that began before the beginning of time and continues into eternity. To understand God's purpose is important to point out that God in his sovereignty foreknew us. You see, God is a God of order. He knew each one of us before the beginning of time. And the Spirit called us to him. And God predestined that, he would, that, that we would be conformed into the likeness of his son. So he calls us, and his predestined purpose is that we would become in the image of his son. And that happens through our justification. He, we were justified, meaning Christ paid our debt. But then there is this other part where he said, for those he justified, he glorified. And glorification, glorify, is that process that God is working throughout our life that's preparing us for that climax, that end result, where we will look and appear and be like an heir of Christ. We will look like Christ. And it's the, per the, the different struggles, good or bad or circumstances, that shape us and mold us through the process of becoming more like Christ. That is the process of glorification. Through the work of the Spirit, this transformation begins here and now and will ultimately be brought to completion when the glory of Christ comes. The hope we have is that we will fully be like Christ. So this provides us an irrevocable assurance that each hour, each day, each year of our life is part of a whole. It's a narrative in which God is at work for us, in us, and through us, and he's accomplishing that purpose. Those, though things happen not as we would hope, God is using it in order to conform us into the likeness of Jesus. Maybe, perhaps, in our transformation, we need to learn to trust and rely more on God, the creator, than relying on created things. That's going to be a change in our life. 
Paul reemphasizes this thought when he writes he, in Philippians 1.6 that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. See, God is working through the circumstances in our life in order to fulfill his purpose in us, in us which is to become more in the image of Christ. What do we know about Christ? He was holy, set apart. He was blameless, full of love. That's the work that God is predestined to work in us and through us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote this. He says, God does not give us everything we want, but he does, not but he does fulfill his promises, leading us along the best and straightest path to himself. So what does this all mean as we approach the eve of a new year? It is not wishful thinking that we would have hope for a good new year. It's not God just making things in your life better. It is God making you better. The hope we have is that God is in control even when it seems like things are out of control. And though it may have been a long year and you can't wait for it to be over, there is nothing that has gone to waste. That video that we just watched, one of the scenes said, for 365 days, God has been faithful and he did not forsake us. What did you go through this year? Friends, whatever you went through, God was with you each and every day. And he did not forsake you. That's the promise that we have here. Hope for a good new year comes from the assurance that God is working to transform you, not destroy you. Let me say that again. Hope for a good new year comes from the assurance that God is working to transform you, not destroy you. It is based on the promise of God that he is faithful and he's merciful and he will continually sustain you by his grace. And a new year is another opportunity for God to make all things new because that's what happens in the Christian life. We're being made new. So over the next couple days is... The hours, days wind down of the new year. I want to encourage you to prepare for, for the new year by doing three specific things. The first thing I want to challenge you to consider is to reflect. Carve out some time for reflection over the next couple days. Just like Israel looked back on their year during Rosh Hashanah, we need to do likewise. We need to look back on our year the good and the bad, and we need to ask the Holy Spirit to help us see how God has been at work, how he guided, how he protected, how he provided over the next year. Now, I'm not talking about a five-minute mental recap while you're in the shower tomorrow morning. I'm talking about carving out significant, a significant period of time where you can be alone, where you can get quiet, and you can reflect. Maybe it's having a journal with you to write down all your thoughts. Or maybe, like a guy like me, it's like just a pad of paper and jot down some bullet points. But use it to ask God to show you his work in your life. 
Now, I'm going to be honest. Uh, when I tried to do this four years ago, when we were going through all the junk that we were going through, this was a very difficult thing for me to do. Because I wanted to just ignore it. I wanted to push it aside. I just wanted to keep busy and just keep doing to forget about all that was going on. And every time I came back to thinking and reflecting on what is God doing in me, I found myself getting angry and confused. I was grieving and numb. I wanted to avoid it at all costs. But over the process, in the time of reflection, there has been a healing there has been a transformation. There has been a change where I have been able to go and to really reflect on that and to really think. And I can see how God had been at work through that period. Though I was pressed, I was not crushed. Though we had been persecuted, we were not abandoned. We were struck down, but we were not destroyed. I have watched how God has used that time to restore relationships, to cause a deeper dependence on the Lord, and a greater need and desire to walk more closely with God each day. So despite what has happened, God has used it for the good of those who love him. There's something powerful that happens when we get away from the noise and the busyness and the crowds in order to focus on God. Why? Because it's in the still, small voice where we hear God. It is then that we know, because the Spirit is revealing it to us in that still, small voice, that God is at work. Take time to reflect this week. Second thing is to repent. Rather than looking at the start of this next year, hoping for more prosperity and success in your new year, Maybe our focus should be on how we can align with God's purpose. The question we should ask is, how can I be more aligned with God's purpose of me being more like Christ in the new year? Ask that question and see what God reveals to you. Allow the Holy Spirit to search your heart and then confess the things that the Spirit reveals to you. And as we do this, we take hope in the promise that comes through 1 John where he says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, will forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. Augustine of Hippo once said, the confession of evil works is the beginning of good works. The confession of evil works is the beginning of good works. So as we confess, that is part of God's good work being done in us for his purpose and for his plan. We begin a new year with a clean slate, a new beginning, and with the freedom that comes from the forgiveness of sin. Make a change in your life to walk more closely with Jesus this year. Maybe it's a decision to carve out more time with God each day or participating more in the life and the community of the church. The start of the new year is a great time to join a small group or a, uh, one of the, our ministries that helps to get us into those areas where God needs to do internal work in our life. For women, Roxanne Thomas is starting uh, She's Got Issues, um, which uh, many women have gone through over the last year, helping people to unpack 
some of the stuff that's in their life and where God fits in all that. It's a great resource, and I would encourage you women to consider that. Men, uh, in, in the spring, uh, Guy Wire starts their connect, their season where uh, they, they take peop- uh, men on a 40-day journey. And their theme this year is only God is perfect. And we'll be unpacking what does it mean for us as men and how do we perceive ourselves as perfect um, versus God. There's a lot there to, to learn. But I'm not just talking about repent personally. I'm also talking about you to think through it from a corporate stand, standpoint as well. What is God revealing in you that needs to change in order for you to be more like Christ in this community? What is the sum of a church? Is it a rocking band up front? Is it an awesome preacher? Is it a beautiful building? The sum of the church is people, right? The body of Christ. And each one of us comes as as part of the body of Christ. That is the sum, that is the church. Flawed, broken, sinful, has issues. And if we don't work on those issues, what is the result of the sum of the church? Brokenness, dysfunction, sin. That is why we need to take this seriously, that if we want our church to be a church of influence, if we want to be a reflection of Christ's love, we need to let Christ do some work in us in order to transform us, in order to to transform our church that will be transforming in our community. Maybe it means us to stop complaining about the things that we don't like at North River. I often hear people say, well, I don't like the music at North River. It stinks. And I I just, I got to ask you, do you love the song of the Lord more than you love the Lord of the song? Because how you answer that question is going to determine what worship, what, what you're bringing to God in worship. And if we're gathering around with our friends and saying, here's all the things that I hate about North River that could be better and they could be doing this and they could be doing that. My question for you, do you complain about North River or do you pray for North River? And if we're complaining about North River more than we're praying for North River, we have a problem. There is a spiritual issue there that needs to be addressed. Friends, God is doing some great things here at North River. Do you know that we had over 875 people in our three Christmas Eve services last week? The last time we had over 875 people was back in 2015. Now, I'm not here toting numbers. I am not. It's not about the numbers. But what it is about is that 875 people heard the message of what happens when Christ invades their life. That's what we need to celebrate. 
We have people that are mentoring other people. We have groups, studies that are happening where people are digging into God's word and trying to consider what does this mean in transforming my life so that I can live more like Christ. We're developing new leaders. We're integrating young folks into the life of the church. God is doing great things at North River. And it's not just all of a sudden today he's doing great things. He's been doing great things over the last 29 years. And he's going to continue to do great things at North River. But the sum, you, me, this is for me too. We need to get to the heart of what God is trying to do in us so that we can be a reflection of that radiance of Christ. So um, reflect, repent, and finally rejoice. We should rejoice at the end of this year. We should be rejoicing that God has given us life and he sustained us through another year. We can rejoice that anything we have endured over the year did not overcome us. You're still here. We rejoice that God's great love is for us. We rejoice in what is to come both now in the short term and in eternity. Paul's sentiment at the end of Romans 8.28 is one of celebration. Look what he says. He says, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither the present or the future, nor any powers, neither height or depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ, that, the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, nothing, nothing, nothing will separate us from the love of Christ that is in God. That is what we rejoice about. That is what we celebrate. That is the work that God is doing in us that we would be glorified. For 365 days of 2018, God has been faithful. And he did not forsake us. And the hope for a good new year is that God will be with us in 2019. Amen? Let's pray. Gracious God, if we can stand here this morning and say that this was a good year, we give you thanks in knowing that all things come from you. Sure, we played a part, but we know that you are the one that um, gives life, gives direction, and sustains all things. So we give you that honor and praise in our worship this morning. And for those who are here this morning who are hurting, who are broken, we still worship you as well because we know that this struggle is temporary and we know that you are not doing things to destroy us but we are we are you are doing the things that you have called us as we depend and we rely on you and we let you do that work in our lives so we surrender to you and ask for the new day for the new year the next hour that you would be our hope that you would sustain us that you would be glorified despite our circumstances and that we would not give up. We love you, Lord. We ask this in your son's name.